This morning, as we open the scriptures together, I pray that you would seal upon our heart these truths and equip us to be your saints, Lord, serving your glory by championing the name of Jesus Christ. Parents to children, Lord, those of us that may be beyond childbearing years, perhaps children have moved out. Nevertheless, Lord, being diligent and faithful to testify as the family of God to our familial relationship as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, Lord, to all that a message of the gospel might go forward of reconciliation between God and man through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 46 this morning, the second Sunday of the month. We've made it a habit for going on three years to consider one of the Psalms. That leads us to Psalm chapter 46. The title of this morning's message is, I am God. And it's a phrase that comes from the Psalm itself. Be still and know that I am God. There's a commandment. There's the clear exhortation to quiet the soul of the heart of the feeble and frail and sometimes faithless human individual before the knowledge of the supremacy, the sovereignty of Almighty God. Be still and know that I am God. This morning we will hear that charge from Psalm 46, but we will also see the fruit of that kind of faith and confession that is promised in the Word of God. So if you would stand with me, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. And let us read together verses 1 through 11 of this great hymn of praise. First we have the title, To the Choir Master of the Sons of Korah, According to Alamoth, a Song. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of God. You may be seated. In life's challenges and tests, where we face enemies of our soul, at least in the form of our sin nature, the devil that comes knocking, the door of our soul to see if in our 
spiritual life, there might be any crack or lapse in our faithfulness, dedication, and meditation on the Word of God that He might come in with a tempting thought or with a lie. In our lives that are fraught with the pain and the general curse that all of creation has fallen under since sin, there is but one truth summarized in three words that is sufficient to guard and to guide us through this valley in this life of the shadow of death. Those three words are simply this, I am God. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. Psalm 46 exhorts the worshiper in this verse to be still and know this truth. I am God. The term I am is itself a designation. God's own revelatory self-disclosure. God says to Moses in the Old Testament scriptures, I am. In this simple, profound, yet inexhaustible in its depth and glory and power and meaning, and meaning, in this phrase, we have God's eternal self-existence. We have His self-proclaimed glory. We have His testimony of sufficiency and sovereignty as Creator and Governor, not just of our lives, but of all the universe, of every atom that is whirling through the entire material universe. Over all these and over all of us, the psalmist proclaims with the voice of the Lord in the first person from God himself this message, I am God. The assurance, confidence, and peace in the heart of the believer is exclusively, it is only established upon the foundation of faith in the sovereignty of the God who was and who is and who is to come. Think of it. What are we to be still of? What are we busy with in our hearts and our souls and our minds? What kinds of frantic tendencies? What stresses in our daily warfare in this spiritual battle does the psalmist call us to quiet in light of this truth? I am God. Well, there's the frantic efforts of our own striving trying to sow into the bank account of self-righteousness that we as wicked fallen human creatures are prone to, stacking up in, the, in those efforts only debt against us. There is the anxious striving and the endless toil, fearful without the insurance policy of our own efforts to secure our future. There is the fearful defense mechanisms of ourself where we build walls of our own design so that the pressures of life may not find us in a vulnerable state. There are all these self-preservation stresses and many more that find their remedy, that find actually their deliverance in only one place, and that is according to Psalm 46, 8, beholding the works of the Lord. Where does God call those who struggle under this catalog I just gave you? He calls them forth in verse 8 through his Psalm 46 saying, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Here we have evidence of his sovereignty in these examples. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. And again the psalmist says, By poignant illustration he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He 
He burns the chariots with fire. As we read this psalm, we find in it a repeated theme. In Psalm 121, the author of that glorious hymn exalts in similar words that the God of Israel, he who keeps Israel, will never slumber nor sleep. And this is why we can rest. This is why we can be still and be rest assured in His care, in His presence. I received an email this week that certainly surprised and startled me, but provided me a perfect illustration to open this message at this point. The email had a heading, a simple question, only two or three sentences that followed, but the question was enough. How strong is your faith? How strong is your faith? Now that's a kind of question that we're used to hearing. Perhaps so often it's become a cliche and could easily bounce off our mind and the busy schedule of our daily life going about our affairs. But the significance of this query would have been easily ignorable in that email form for sure if it had not been accompanied by a photograph. This email came to me with a photograph of some 100 or so, near as I could figure, human-shaped lumps of charcoal. There was a scene, a virtual mini-holocaust of charred bodies, and there was, there was a church in a remote area of Africa just behind it, and distraught, no doubt, family of God, perhaps brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, perhaps husbands and wives of the victims laying there, standing, weeping over the carnage. These 100 or so human-shaped lumps of charcoal were Nigerian Christians who were burned alive for their faith in Jesus Christ. We look at a scene like that with the natural shock and the unbearable weight and fear that that might strike in our mere human hearts, and we wonder, would I stand in the flames in faithfulness to Jesus Christ? Or would I, for the promise of a few more moments in this veil of tears, in weakness of my flesh, recant? We think about that situation. What if we were there? Few things can prepare you, saints. Few things can prepare you for a test like that. But this morning, we're setting our mind and we're setting our attention on one of them. If we meditate on Psalms, like Psalm 46, it will serve one sure way to fortify the believer's resolve behind the fortress of his God. Our God is our refuge and strength. Verse 1, Psalm 46. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The Lord of hosts is with us, verse 7. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, it's repeated in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That fortress, I submit to you, is stronger than the flames of death in this life. It is stronger than the arrogance, ignorance, the blasphemies, and the persecution of a godless society. 
that calls us idiots for following a man who lived and died, and we believe, because it's true, rose again 2,000 years ago, ever rules and ever reigns, interceding for you and me, his church, this day before the throne of Almighty God. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is our refuge and our strength. And though we may die in this life, we will live forever. Give me flames in this life, if I can escape them in the next. Give me persecution here if I have reconciliation in perfect manifest glory and fellowship and communion with Almighty God, my Creator, my Designer, the One who by His eternal decree called and set me apart for His will and purposes by His sovereign grace alone. And I hope that your heart can resonate with these sentiments. And as we meditate, with our attention fixed on Psalm 46, we can and we will, by God's grace, be still and know that He is God. We will be still and know that He is the God of three things this morning. First of all, desolation and consolation. He is the God that judges. He is also the God that comforts. Another way you could say this, be still and know that he is the God of both judgment and salvation. Secondly, we can be still and know that he is the God of nations as they are summoned as an example in this chapter and nature. The forces of nature, the forces of nations. And thirdly and finally this morning, let us consider our ability through embracing the means that God supplies to be still and know that he is the God of of armies, hosts. He is called Yahweh, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. And he is also the God of Jacob, Lord of families. Be still and know that he is the God of judgment, salvation, nations and nature, armies and families. Consider the first five verses of our psalm this morning again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. There is a refuge and a strength in the first sentence that is announced and proclaimed in our God. Our God, the I am that I am. God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is our refuge and our strength. Listen to those words closely. Refuge. There is a protection. There is a comfort. There is an ever-ready retreat. There is a redoubt, a castle, a fortified position that is impregnable, impregnable against our enemy. But there is more than that. There is not just a defensive posture, but there is an opposition force represented in God. Our refuge, but not just our refuge, also our strength. As we consider this psalm in the context of God's great character and attributes, we hear here championed God's omniscience, 
I'm sorry, his omnipotence in his strength and his omnipresence in his refuge. Where could I flee from the presence of my God? Could I go to the farthest reaches of the earth? In other places, the word of God asks, Yea, even if I descend to hell, if I make my bed in Sheol, if such could, if we could imagine such a thing, he is still there. Thus, the omnipresence of our God satisfies and provides for our needs by presenting us a refuge. He is always there, omnipresent, always our place of surety, security, assurance, and defense. But he is also, brothers and sisters in Christ, our mighty warrior. He is the one who marches forward in in triumph, conquering before his church. He is the one who has defeated the enemy of all enemies, Satan's sin and death. According to 1 Corinthians 15, what is left for our great champion to conquer? Nothing, I say, nothing. The trophies in his war chest celebrate his victory. And every one of you who are blood-bought by Jesus Christ share a place next to each other in that great uh, hall of his works, his worth, and his attributes manifest in the salvation of your very soul. This is our God. He is a refuge and he is our strength. He is omnipresent and he is omnipotent. He is always there and he is always interceding on our behalf. Through him we are more than conquerors, and through him we receive the conqueror's crown that we read about in the book of Revelation. Last week we mentioned the charge in the book of Hebrews that the true church must and always will indeed persevere. The benefit, the fruit of perseverance is expounded time and again in the book of Revelation. Perseverance has at the end its goal and promise for the believer a crown in heavenly glory, free access to the tree of life, eternal life, a new name, indeed the glorification of ourselves and the advancement of this estate into one of eternal bliss where we fellowship with the Father. Why? How? Because Christ is our refuge and our strength. Secondly, consider under this truth that we can be still And know that he is the God of judgment and salvation. Consider how the wickedness of this fallen world and the seemingly chaotic events of natural disasters do not trouble and do not concern our author. In fact, he cites them as evidence of God's power. Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This language indicates the tumultuous elements of the unpredictable sea. Any sailor adrift in the ocean, seeing those ominous clouds of the horizon, begins to frantically batten down the hatches and tie up the sail. But does God ever react or respond in such a way? No, indeed. He is the author and finisher of all things. He is the creator and sustainer and governor of all elements of this material world. And in fact, though we experience these things and feel that we are at the mercy 
of the elements of nature. Thank God that He is not. He is the Lord of judgment and salvation. If you turn later in your own study to the book of Nahum, in chapter 1, we read of this same imagery applied to God's judgment over nations, specifically in that case, Nineveh. The elements of nature, a tornado on the horizon, a hurricane that devastates a seashore, is an object lesson in the elements around us, in the weather report of our day-to-day experience of the power of our God to wipe off the face of the earth in one snap of His divine fingers, His enemies, never to be heard from again. God is God of judgment. Think about this. Imagine you are Noah. How much would this song mean to him? Noah, a preacher and a herald of righteousness, called to testify to things that were to come, a judgment coming, yet not making a single convert outside of his family, eventually enters the door of that ark for the salvation of himself and seven others and the seed of the species that will repopulate the earth later. And what happens? Begins to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And we can only imagine the chaos of these elements never never to be repeated again. And they were never equaled prior to when this entire earth was flooded by the destructive forces of nature. Yet the Bible is clear. This judgment was directly and sovereignly from the hand of God. And it served His glory and His purposes. And His grace was also manifest in that story by saving our forefather Noah in that boat with those animals to repopulate the earth. Imagine peering out the porthole of that vessel and saying to yourself, if it had been written in time, these comforting words, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God will establish us again. God will bring us through the storm. God has purposes in through His people that will ultimately be manifest in a new heaven and a new earth when this one is folded up, folded up and put away and the new one takes its place. And that's where we will make our habitation. That's where we will reside. We will, in that moment, be still, even as we are in faith listening to God's word now, we will be still and know that He is the God of desolation and consolation, of judgment and salvation. In verses 4 through 5, our author moves from this picture of judgment, testified to by these elemental forces of nature, to pictures of salvation. In verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Consider the contrast of these two environments in this psalm. What was a flood is for the believer a river. Rivers satisfy, irrigate, supply, Rivers represent something that's confined and helpful and allows civilization to flourish, to overflow with the bounty of a crop on the plains, yet floods destroy. There is the sea, uncertain, shifting, moving, but in the salvation imagery of 4 and 5, there is the city, unshakable, 
on its foundation that endures forever. The earth gives way in the prior verses, but there is a habitation, there is a home unassailable and protected in verses 4 and 5. Mountains are moved by earthquakes in the previous reference, but we shall never be moved in the salvation imagery of verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The elect, secured by covenant promise, are pictured here. The city and the river represent supply, irrigation, life, government, order, peace, security, longevity, and an overflowing sense of God's purpose reclaimed and the curse reversed, if you will, and God establishing His people as His light and an evidence of His glory and His holy habitation to shine forth and give Him praise in the glorious realms of heaven, the new heavens and new earth forever. Praise the Lord. Be still and know that He is the God of judgment and salvation. Secondly, this morning, the Word calls us to be still and know that He is the God of nations and nature. Consider verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. Consider also verses 8 through 10. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease, cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that He is the God of nations. Some commentators in the history of the church have taken note of the connection in the title of this song to an event that happened in Numbers 16. We hear the record there. Again, the title of this psalm is to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. You'll remember in Numbers chapter 16, the followers of Korah, to be distinguished from the sons of Korah, there was a rebellion, a coup that was staged against Moses, and a man named Korah was able to get himself a following. And so we have in this fledgling nation of Israel, we have a declaration of independence from that nation. We want to be our own nation. We stand against the will and purposes of the Lord through the revelation and His servant, His prophet, Moses. We can do it just fine by ourselves. In fact, this statement of offense and disagreement uh, with Moses was itself a declaration of war against the King of Kings. How successful will that campaign be? As successful, I tell you, as any nation who has tried to do as much in the things that they stand for and the values that they embrace, they rise for a time, but the higher they rise, the harder they fall. And so Nebuchadnezzar is dashed to the earth, losing his reasoning until such time that he confesses that God is sovereign and he rules as he pleases. He sets up kings and he tears them down. And so he did. He tore down the sons of Korah, and he used the earth itself to do it. The earth opened up and swallowed these rebels, and the rest of them were consumed by lightning, as it were, fire from heaven. Thus to show us by this example and many more in Scripture, we can be still and know 
that he is the God of nations. Nations themselves and nature are two examples of idols. Preeminent idols in the heart of man since the beginning of, of time, I should say, since the fall. Man in his rebellious idolatry has always tended to ascribe sovereignty to the laws of nature. He has always seen nature as something that's powerful over him, he must submit to and cannot be tamed even by God over nature. Also, man in his sinfulness has always tended to ascribe sovereignty to the will of man, to himself. Or, we see the quintessential example of that confidently expressed in the collective will of a people who centralize themselves through humanistic government. They build a tower of Babel, they combine their goals together, and they declare themselves autonomous from the rule and reign of Christ. We will be our own nation. We will make our own laws. We will judge for ourselves what is true, and it becomes a collective way to reassert original sin. Eat this fruit, and you will be like God, judging for yourselves right and wrong. But I'm here to tell you the message from Psalm 46 is, Do not fear, saint one who is a sojourner and an alien in this world, you are a peculiar people, a chosen nation called forth to show the glory of God and no matter the war machines of the nations that arise around us, no matter the power and prestige and policy that the global elites represent as nations rise and nations fall, remember there are examples in scriptures where one earthquake one explosion of a volcano, one natural disaster, one touch of God's finger, and the nations that rage totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I'm told in the ancient world there was nothing more feared in the ears of the civilian than the sound of rolling chariot wheels in the distance. You can imagine threshing grain outside your humble abode and seeing a cloud of dust arise on the horizon and that dull rumble. And you know the sound. It's the sound of the pursuing Egyptian chariots. And what are you? You are the last generation of, a, of an enslaved people, captive for 430 years, maybe no, not so much as a sword or a weapon between a thousand of you. And in the distance is the most fearful war machine invented by man to this date. And in front of you is the Red Sea. What did God do on behalf of his people? First, he called them to be still. Be still and know that he is God. And how did God rescue his people from this imperial force? With their war machine, their bows, their spears, and their chariots of fire? Well, he brought desolation on them. The Red Sea opened as an invitation and a safe passage for his people, and it closed upon those chariots, consuming them. And as the sea melted around them, the nation of Egypt, with all its pomp and glory, was destroyed by God's hand in one single moment to show us in the record of Scripture that he is the God of nations and the God of nature. And finally this morning, the charge for us from Psalm 46 is to be still, to know that He is the God of armies, 
He is the God of families. It says in verse 7, there's a refrain, a chorus, if you will, in this great hymn that's repeated twice. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, we read these words repeated in our ears, and so delightful they are to us. The Lord of hosts is with us, verse 11. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would have you consider, as we close this message this morning, two identities of our champion, of our God, who is our refuge and our strength. The first is the Lord of hosts, and the second is the God of Jacob. What is this reference to Lord of hosts? Well, hosts is a Hebrew word I mentioned before, Sabaoth, and it refers to armies. It refers to more than armies. It refers to everything at God's disposal. It refers to all the created realm, every creature, and everything that populates the heavenlies. It refers to the volitional creatures like angels who Christ can summon a legion at his very word to defend us. It refers to God's power to assemble anything in the circumstances to lay straight the way for us moving forward, causing mountains to collapse and valleys to rise to make straight the way of the Lord for his people. Thus, from cosmos to covenant, God is the God of hosts and of armies. He is the God of the big picture, and he is also the God of individuals and families. He is the God of the close relationships as well. And that's what these two references seem to remind us of this morning. He has this whole world in the palm of his hand, and his arms are wrapped around you. He is the God of all of the created realm, and he is the God of every one of his creatures that he has ransomed by the power of his son's blood, that he has adopted into his family. I mentioned earlier in this message the picture of Noah's ark as a picture of salvation. Consider a second ark, if you will. And this ark only had one passenger. And this is from Exodus in chapter 2. A mother who was distraught at the thought of losing her son took and wove a basket and took a similar substance that Noah used, some pitch, and coated that little boat, that little ark, and set that little baby in and pushed him gently into the river. I ask you this question this morning. Which ark was safer? Or a better way to say, who was safer? Noah and his family of seven and those animals in that massive boat? Or this little basket smeared with pitch floating down the Nile? The answer is they were both, the sa- they were both equally safe. Why? Because God was their refuge and their strength. It didn't matter the basket. didn't matter the boat. What mattered was the loving hands of God who watch over and care for his people though we go through difficulties and trials in this life. These are the illustrations that God gives us of salvation in his scripture to remind us that he is the God of armies and he is the God that watches over families. In application today, especially in light of the theme of this service, our baby dedication, where 12 little ones were dedicated before the people of God today, where parents stood before us and vowed to raise their children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, let us remember the truths of Psalm 46, 
Because we are often asking the question, you heard it even in some of our prayers this morning, how in the world are we to raise children in the frightful environment that we are faced with today? How can we, furthermore, remain faithful as a church in a world and an environment that is increasingly hostile to Christianity? Well, again, I tell you, it doesn't matter if it feels like we're in a basket or if in we're a large seagoing vessel. The answer is just the same. We can be still and know that He is God. He is our refuge and our strength. He is the God of judgment, salvation, nations, nature, armies, and families. The fruit of believing, Psalm 46, is summed up in verse 2. Listen to this again. Psalm 46, 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. What follows the therefore in that verse is the fruit of the reality of Psalm 46 in our hearts. We will not, we need not fear. What can man do to us? If God be for us, who can stand against us? The fruit of Psalm 46 is summed up in that phrase, we will not fear. We are liberated from the terror of the circumstances, chiefly among them, of the reality of judgment and the wages of our own sin. And we are liberated from that terror through Jesus Christ's shed blood on the cross. We are set free in light of that reality to be still and to know that through this knowledge and assurance that the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob will not forsake us, will not abandon us, but fights for us. And though we go through trials, temptations, though our journey is long and dark, and like that great classic in our church history, Pilgrim's Progress, you may feel like you're slogging through the slough of despond or facing Apollyon in a staring match or prowling predators, enemies, lions, ravenous wolves at every turn. You need not fear, because regardless of what surrounds us on all sides, if Christ indwells this vessel, what can man do to us? Let's close in prayer. O Heavenly Father, we thank you for the assurance and the security that your Holy Word provides. We thank you that it is meaningful and written on the table of our hearts because of the sovereign work of Calvary real for every believer in this room. Lord, if there are any who fellowship with us today who have been, as the book of Hebrews says, enslaved to the fear of death because they do not have the assurance that their soul rests in Jesus Christ, in His good care, they have not surrendered themselves, confessed their sin, and embraced His salvation, repentance and faith in Christ alone. I pray that You would draw them, draw them, Lord, to Yourself, that they may never, Lord, have to face that horrific thought of dying even a comfortable life here and facing the wrath to come. But instead, they can face whatever wrath that the enemy of our soul or the nations that rage might bring in this meantime because they will one day be with us in the city of God, in the habitation of the Most High, where there is a river whose streams make glad 
the entire populace. Thank you, Lord, for these promises. And I pray that you would seal them upon our heart by the power of your spirit today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Praise the Lord.